This is a recording of Swearing by Their Everlasting Maker. Some notes on Peanchi and Gideonhi by Matthew L. Bowen, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, read by Victor Wirth. Abstract. This brief article explores Peanchi and Gideonhi as names evidencing the Egyptian onomastic element Anchi, Anhi, Ain, N-H-I, and the potential literary significance of these two names in the context of Mormon's narrative detailing the formation of the oath-bound secret combinations sworn with oath formulae upon one's life. C.F. Egyptian, Ain, N-H, Life, Live, Swear an Oath by One's Life. It also explores the implications for Mormon's telling of Nephite history during his own time. From the beginning of the abridged book of Helaman, much of Mormon's remaining narrative history details the formation, development, and proliferation of oath-bound secret combinations among the Nephites, and their eventual fatal impact on Nephite society. The common Egyptian lexeme Ain Nh, which as a verb means to live, and as a noun denotes life, also denotes to swear as a verb and oath as a noun, and constitutes a common onomastic element. Even in its primary meaning to live, the use of Ain and H is attested abundantly in oaths during Lehi's time. Cf. the late Egyptian oath formulae Ain and H N-I-N-N as N-N lives for me. Thus, the twofold mention of the name Peanchi, Helaman 1, 3, and 7, in the immediate context of the first recorded swearing of an oath-bound secret combination, quote, swearing by their everlasting maker, Helaman 1.11, among the Nephites, emphasizes this moment as a key event in the ill-fated Nephite history. Understanding the semantic range of meaning for Egyptian Ain and H to include oath and swear also helps us appreciate the irony highlighted by Mormon's inclusion of Gideonhi's epistolary oath as a failed attempt by the latter to intimidate Laconius and his people into surrender. See especially 3 Nephi 3.8. Thus, both Peanchi and Gideonhi appear to share the Egyptian onomastic element Anchi, Anhi, Ain, and H-I, and Mormon mentions both names in connection with the rise of the secret combinations that eventually overtook Lamanite and Nephite societies, contributing to the destruction of the latter. Mormon, amid the decay and collapse of Nephite society, had striking personal reasons for their inclusion. Unhallowable Oaths when Alma gave his son Helaman charge of all the sacred Nephite records, which by this time also included Jaredite records, he gave Helaman a specific charge regarding the latter. And now, my son, I command you that ye retain all their oaths and their covenants, and their agreements in their secret abominations. Yea, and all their signs and their wonders ye shall retain from this people, that they know them not, lest peradventure they should fall into darkness also, and be destroyed. For behold, there is a curse upon all this land, that destruction shall come upon all those workers of darkness, according to the power of God, when they are fully ripe. Therefore I desire that this people might not be destroyed. Therefore ye shall keep these secret plans of their oaths and their covenants from this people, and only their wickedness and their murders and their abominations shall ye make known unto them. And ye shall teach them to abhor such wickedness and abominations and murders. And ye shall also teach them that those people were destroyed on account of their wickedness and abominations and their murders.
Alma 37, 27 through 29. All Book of Mormon citations follow Skousen's Yale edition. The plates of ether appear to have contained detailed descriptions of the plans, oaths, and covenants of a secret society or faction that precipitated the destruction of the Jaredite nation and kingdom. Mormon, knowing the final arc of Nephite history and thus the unhappy ending of his own people's story, includes this statement in part to alibi Alma the Younger and his successors up front from any potential accusation that the Gadianton, hereafter Gadianton with two Ds, oaths and rituals came from Mormon's predecessors' records. He explicitly makes this point after telling the story of how these oaths came forth. Quote, now behold, those secret oaths and covenants did not come forth unto Gadianton from the records which were delivered unto Helaman, but behold, they were put into the heart of Gadianton by that same being who did entice our first parents to partake of the forbidden fruit. Helaman 6.26 The Gadianton oaths, so far as he knew, came directly from Satan. Mormon and Moroni offer only general descriptions of the oaths rituals, plans, and covenants of Gadianton and his robbers, who, quote, did prove the overthrow, yea, almost the entire destruction of the people of Nephi, Helaman 2.13. One of Mormon's main authorial and editorial aims, consciously taken up and completed by his son Moroni after Mormon's death, was to show that oath-bound secret combinations destroyed not just one, but two nations, an Israelite nation, the Nephites, and a Gentile nation, the Jaredites. Following the death of Mormon, his father, Moroni sketches the events and persons who gave rise to the secret oath-bound combinations among the Jaredites that helped bring about the eventual destruction of that society. Notably, the Jaredites who formed these oath-bound combinations swore their oaths, quote, by the God of Heaven. In other words, they swore by the life of the God of Heaven in invoking Him as a ratifying witness of their wicked acts, as though so swearing these oaths ensured their desired unrighteous outcome, or somehow sanctified them. And it came to pass that Achish gathered in unto the house of Jared all his kinfolks, and saith unto them, Will ye swear unto me that ye will be faithful unto me in a thing which I shall desire of you? And it came to pass that they all swear unto him by the God of heaven, and also by the heavens, and also by the earth, and by their heads, that whoso should vary from the assistance which Achish desired should lose his head, and whoso should divulge whatsoever thing Achish made known unto them, the same should lose his life. And it came to pass that thus they did agree with Achish, and Achish did administer unto them the oaths which were given by them of old, who also sought power which had been handed down even from Cain, who was a murderer from the beginning. And they were kept up by the power of the devil to administer these oaths unto the people, to keep them in darkness, to help such as sought power, to gain power, and to murder and to plunder, and to lie and to commit all manner of wickedness and whoredoms. Either 8.13-16 in order to emphasize the unholy origin and unhallowable nature of the oath-bound secret combination that has just been forged, Moroni appropriates an older wordplay on Cain, Hebrew Cain, in terms of a verb rendered gain, Semitic Hebrew Q-N-Y, Q-N-H. See also Helaman 6.17 and 26-27, Moses 5.16 and 31 and 50. 
Moroni's additional emphasis on the oath having been sworn by the God of heaven helps Latter-day readers perceive the genetic link between the Jaredite secret combinations and later Nephite secret combinations that were formed with covenants and oaths similarly sworn by their everlasting maker. Helaman 1.11. See below. Later, after the attempt on Omer's life fails, when Omer and the faithful members of his household flee, Achish and his kinsfolk turn against Jared, son of Omer, their co-conspirator. Again, Moroni emphasizes the ancient origin of the unholy oaths. Quote, and it came to pass that Achish sought the life of his father-in-law, and he applied unto those whom he had sworn by the oath of the ancients. And they obtained the head of his father-in-law as he sat upon his throne, giving audience to his people. Ether 9.5. He uses the characterization in describing the revival of secret combinations among the Jaredites generations later. Quote, and in the days of calm there began to be robbers in the land, and they adopted the old plans and administered oaths after the manner of the ancients, and sought again to destroy the kingdom. Ether 10.33. The collocations, the oaths of the ancients, and oaths after the manner of the ancients, have direct reference to the oaths that had their origin with the oath between Satan and Cain. The JST version of Genesis, part of which has been canonized as the Book of Moses, reveals that Satan adjured Cain, or caused Cain to swear, quote, by the living God. Quote, and Satan said unto Cain, Swear unto me by thy throat, and if thou tell it, thou shalt die, and swear thy brethren by their heads, and by the living God, that they tell it not. For if they tell it, they shall surely die, and this that thy father may not know it. And this day I will deliver thy brother Abel into thine hands. Moses 5.29 That the original Canaanitic oath, the subsequent Jaredite oaths, and the much later Nephite oaths were all sworn by the living God, or by the God of heaven, or by their everlasting maker, constitutes a fundamental key to understanding Mormon's description of Peanchi and the oath-swearing activities of those who supported him, as well as Mormon's inclusion of Gideonhi's oaths of intimidation. Peanchi and the Beginning of Unhallowed Oaths Amongst the Nephites The Book of Mormon attests the name Peanchi twice, Helaman 1, 3, and 7. As John Gee has noted, Peanchi as a form of the common Egyptian name Pa, Ain, and H, most plausibly denotes the Living One, translated in Greek as Ponchis. The name the Living One could have reference to a specific deity, cf. the title the Living God, Moses 5.29, but also to a person or child who lives, cf. Joseph's Egyptian cognomen Zaphnath Panea, that is, the God has said he shall live. Panea is Pa, Ain, and H, Genesis 41.45. Mortality rates, not least infant mortality rates, were extremely high in the ancient world. In addition to the above, I would here point out that the Egyptian lexeme Ain, N, H, verb live, noun life, had additional derived meanings. Perhaps the most important secondary meaning of Ain, N, H as a verb was to swear and as a noun it also meant oath. For example, the demotic conditional legal formula IW-FIRP3, Ain and H, meant if he swears. Hence, as a sentence name, Peanchi could, at least from a phonological perspective, connote or evoke not just the living one, but also he, i.e. the deity, is my life, oath. Pa, he, 
plus A-N-H dash I, my life oath, or he, the deity, is my swearing, etc. In legal and cultic contexts, the deity's life constituted an important part of oaths. Persons swearing oaths in the ancient world typically swore them by deities or somehow invoked deities. Both ancient Israelites and ancient Egyptians swore oaths by the life of the deity, Chai X or Chai X, by the life of X or as X lives, as well as by one's own life. Jeremiah 44.26 provides an example of the Lord himself swearing an oath regarding human oaths sworn this way. Quote, Therefore hear ye the word of the Lord, all Judah that dwell in the land of Egypt. Behold, I have sworn, Nishbati, by my great name, saith the Lord, if plus implied gesture, e.g. passing the index finger across the throat, my name shall any more be named in the mouth of any man of Judah in all the land of Egypt, saying, The Lord God liveth, Chai Adonai Yahweh, literally, by the Lord Yahweh's life. In instances when the Lord says, As I live, Chai Ani, or Chai Anoki, he is saying, in essence, I swear by my throat, cf. Amos 6, 8. The Lord God has sworn by himself, that is, the Lord Yahweh has sworn by his throat, Benapsho. As Stephen Ricks notes, the former witness invocation constitutes the most common formula used in ancient Israelite oath-taking. Two passing between the halves scenes in the Hebrew Bible, Genesis 15, 17-18, and Jeremiah 34, 18, illustrate the basic idea behind this type of oath. In the first, Abram and the Lord make a covenant, literally cut a covenant, karat berit, in which the Lord himself guarantees to perform specific promises to Abraham and to his posterity. And it came to pass that when the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces, in the same day the Lord made a covenant, karat berit, cut a covenant, with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Genesis 15, 17-18 Since the Lord always keeps his covenant promises and performs his oaths, his oath to Abram constitutes the perfect guarantee. Unlike the Lord, however, human beings do not always perform their oaths or keep covenant stipulations. The book of Jeremiah describes the fate of some Judahites who failed to uphold their covenant obligations. And I will give the men that have transgressed my covenant, Beriti, which have not performed the words of the covenant, Haberit, which they have made, Kortu, they had cut, before me, Lefne, i.e., in my presence, when they cut, Kortu, the calf in twain, and passed between the parts thereof, the princes of Judah, and the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, and the priests, and all the people of the land which passed between the parts of the calf. I will even give them into the hand of their enemies, and into the hand of them that seek their life, and their dead bodies shall be for meat unto the fowls of the heaven, and to the beasts of the earth, i.e., like a decaying carcass. Jeremiah 34, 18-20 In both scenes, the parties imply an imprecatory oath by their cutting, karat, a covenant, berit, and passing, abar, waya, abru, oberim, between the parts of the slaughtered animals, that, quote, may what has been done to this animal be done to me, if I do not keep the terms of the covenant, close quote. 
This ritual action appears to be the source of the collocation enter into a covenant. Hebrew, abar biberit, or ba babarit. See e.g. Deuteronomy 29.12, Masoretic Text 11. Apart from the cutting of righteous covenants, the mode of Gadianton covenant cutting and entry seems to have been similar, i.e. in mockery of righteous covenants. Helaman 1.11.2.3.6.21-22 For its part, the Egyptian language in its various stages employed very similar oath formulas using the verb ain and h, live, and the derived meaning of ain and h meaning swear, among other oath-related terms. In that light, we now consider Mormon's twofold mention of the name Peanchi. Mormon associates Peanchi, the living one, or he, the deity, is my life, oath, to the first Nephite swearing of the unholy and unhallowable secret combination oath of the ancients. But behold, Peanchi and that part of the people that were desirous that he should be their governor was exceeding wroth. Therefore, he was about to flatter away those people to rise up in rebellion against their brethren. And it came to pass, as he was about to do this, behold, he was taken and was tried according to the voice of the people and condemned unto death. For he had raised up in rebellion and sought to destroy the liberty of the people. Now, when those people which were desirous that he should be their governor saw that he was condemned unto death, therefore they were angry. And behold, they sent forth one Kishkumen, even to the judgment seat of Parhoron, or P-A-H-O-R-O-N, rather than P-A-H-O-R-A-N, and murdered Parhoron as he sat upon the judgment seat. And he was pursued by the servants of Parhoron, but behold, so speedy was the flight of Kishkumen, spelled K-I-S-H-C-U-M-N-E, Kishkumen, that no man could overtake him. And he went unto those that sent him, and they all entered into a covenant, yea, swearing, cf. Egyptian Ain and H, Hebrew Shin B Ain, by their everlasting Maker, cf. Moses 5:29, that they would tell no man that Kishkumen had murdered Parhoran, Helaman 1:7-11. As noted above, Moroni described this oath as the oath of the ancients, Ether 9:5 or the oaths after the manner of the ancients, Ether 10.33. Moses 5, which preserves a fuller ideological account of the establishment of secret combinations that may be akin to what the Nephites possessed on the brass plates, describes how Satan caused Cain to swear an oath by the living God, Moses 5.29. Beyond the swearing of this unhallowable oath, i.e., by the life of their everlasting maker, see after the title, Kone, QNY or QNH from Genesis 14, 19, and 22. The narratological irony of the name Peanchi as the living one in the context of Peanchi's being condemned unto death and his supporters' murder of Pehoran should also not escape notice. Gideonhi and his Epistolary Oaths The name Gideonhi immediately evokes the name Gadianton, Gadianton with one D in recent LDS editions. This is no coincidence. In Helaman 2, 11-12, Gadianton is spelled with a double D in the original Book of Mormon manuscript and is allowed by the OMS spacing at Helaman 2, 4. As noted by John W. Welch and Kelly Ward in 1985, the Hebrew word for band, bandits, is spelled with the double D, gadud. In fact, Hosea 6, 9 attests the Hebrew phrase ish gadudim, band of robbers, 
CF NRSV Hosea 7.1, Bandits, NRSV Job 19.12, Troops, KJV Genesis 30.11, Troop. This matches the plural Neo-Babylonian term Gududanu and the Phoenician collocation Ain El Aleph G-D-D-M, Gang of Robbers. CF Psalm 56.7, Yagodu, They Form a Gang, as amended. Thus, it is by no means impossible that the name Gadianton constitutes a metonymic or a symbolic epithet. Conceivably, the same might also be true of Gideonhi, note the double D, later on, who also became chief of this powerful body of organized evil, 3 Nephi 3. Regarding the name Gadianton, John A. Tvetnus observes, quote, In form, Gadianton appears to be a Jaredite name, based on the same pattern as Morianton. Ether 122-23, and contains the IAN pattern found in fixed in Jaredite names such as Coriantor, Ether 16-7, Coriantum, Ether 113-14 and 27-28, Coriantomer, Ether 8-4 and 12-1, Moriancomer, Ether 2-13, and Ripleyancum, Ether 15-8. Even though this powerful criminal organization, secret combination, was first headed by Kishkumen, Mormon, as noted above, denied the continuity of this secret society with the Jaredite Mafia, Helaman 6.26-30, and Ether 8.9-25. Nevertheless, the similarities between the Jaredite and Nephite incarnations of Canidic oath-bound secret combinations are undeniable, proving to be existential threats in both instances. Helaman 2, 11 through 19, 11, 32, 3 Nephi 6, 28 through 7, 3, and Ether 8, 19 through 25. Hugh Nibley proposed that Gideonhi could represent a theophoric name, meaning Thoth is my life. Paul Hoskison finds this etymology unlikely. I concur that Thoth constitutes an unlikely theophoric element in any Lehite name. However, Perhaps we can still salvage something of Nibley's etymology. As noted above with the name Peanchi, the element Anchi, Ain N-H-I, represents a perfectly viable Egyptian and Nephite onomastic element. The element Anhi, Ain N-H-I, plausibly represents a biform or alternative transliteration of the element Anchi, Ain N-H-I. If so, and if Gidi can be analyzed as a form of Semitic G-D-D, Hebrew God, the name Gideonhi would mean something like my fortune deity lives, or my fortune deity is my life oath, an appropriate name for someone who had become a freebooter, a cutthroat, and a robber. In any case, from a literary perspective and Mormon's editorial perspective, this proposed meaning of the, of the name, especially the Anhi, N-H-I, element, accords with the content of a letter by Gideonhi that Mormon presumably selected for inclusion in his record because it represented Gadianton methods. In this letter, Gideonhi employs oath-taking as a means of intimidating Laconius and the Nephites into the surrender of their property and persons. And behold, I swear, C.F. Egyptian A.N.H., Hebrew Shin B., unto you, if ye will do this with an oath, C.F. Egyptian A.N.H., Hebrew Shebuah, ye shall not be destroyed. But if ye will not do this, I swear unto you with an oath, 
that on the morrow month I will command that my army shall come down against you, and they shall not stay their hand, and shall spare not, but shall slay you, and shall let fall the sword upon you, even that ye shall become extinct. And behold, I am Gideonhi, and am the governor of this secret society of Gadianton, which society and the works thereof I know to be good. CF Egyptian NFR, good. Nephi, Nephites as good or fair ones. And they are of ancient date, and they have been handed down unto us. Third Nephi 3, 8-9 Although Gideonhi's epistolary oath appears to lack the invocation of a specific deity by name or by title in this text, perhaps the mere mention of his name, understood as My Fortune Deity Lives, or My Fortune Deity Is My Life Oath, or the like, supplied it. On one level, Gideonhi's oath implies life for Laconius and the Nephites if they comply with his demands, and explicitly promises their death for non-compliance. On still another level, however, the mere mention of his name in the context of oath-taking and the phonemic elements of life and oath latent within the name itself recalls the scene in Helaman 1 in which Kishkumen and Gadianton's band first swore their oaths by their everlasting maker. Helaman 111, as well as the earlier secret combination of the Jaredites, which they swore by the God of Heaven, Ether 8.14, and the original Canaanitic oath sworn by the living God, C.F. Peanchi as the living one. Gideonhi's subsequent wordplay on Nephites and good, i.e. that the Gadianton society's works were quintessentially Nephite, represents an attempt to return to the politeness of the earlier part of his letter but he has at this point fully unmasked himself, whether Mormon intended it or not. Gideonhi's additional declaration that the Gadianton society's works were of ancient date appears to further establish a genetic link between the Nephite secret combination and its Jaredite and earlier predecessors. In other words, Gideonhi's statement hints that although Alma the Younger and his successors did not publish the oaths from the Jaredite records in their possession, Nevertheless, the Jaredite secret combinations infected Nephite society by way of other ancient means. Finally, it should be noted that Laconius and Gidgadoni, Gideonhi's narrative counterparts in 3 Nephi 3-4, through also invoke an oath formula in preparing the righteous Nephites and Lamanites to go up against Gideonhi and the Gadiantans. Laconius declared, As the Lord liveth, Except ye repent of all your iniquities, and cry unto the Lord, ye will in no wise be delivered out of the hands of those Gadianton robbers. 3 Nephi 3.15 Against the people's desire to preemptively destroy the Gadianton robbers, Gidgadoni further asserted, quote, The Lord forbid, for if we should go up against them, the Lord would deliver us into their hands. Therefore, we will prepare ourselves in the center of our lands, and we will gather our armies together, and we will not go against them, but we will wait till they shall come against us. Therefore, as the Lord liveth, if we do this, he will deliver them into our hands. 3 Nephi 3.21 These righteous oaths serve as a kind of narrative or rhetorical ballast or balance to Gideonhi's unrighteous oaths, previously quoted. Moreover, Mormon wishes his audience to recall all the foregoing when he undertakes to describe his own times and the roles that Oaths and the Gadianton robbers played in the winding-up scenes of Nephite society and his mortal life when the Nephites went up against the Lamanites with unhallowable, unrighteous oaths. Mormon, like Gidgadoni, his predecessor, gathered his people into one body, 
Mormon 2.7, see 3 Nephi 3.25 and 4.3-4. But the results of his use of this strategy were very different. Conclusion Mormon's Oath We can better understand Mormon's onomastic interest in Payanchi and the oaths sworn by Kishkumen and his band that gave rise to the Gadianton robbers and the epistolary oaths of Gideonhi when we consider the Gadianton-like oaths that precipitated the end of Nephite society. Mormon witnesses the evils of these oaths firsthand. And now because of this great thing which my people the Nephites had done, they began to boast in their own strength and began to swear before the heavens that they would avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren who had been slain by their enemies. And they did swear by the heavens and also by the throne of God that they would go up to battle against their enemies and would cut them off from the face of the land. Mormon 3, 9-10 The Nephites became in their depravity even worse than the Lamanites and the vicious Gadianton robbers who had long sought to destroy them. See Mormon 9 at this point, Mormon declares that he, quote, did utterly refuse from this time forth to be a commander and a leader of this people because of their wickedness and abomination. Mormon 3.11 The Lord had had enough, too. And when they had sworn by all that had been forbidden them by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that they would go up unto their enemies to battle and avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren, behold, the voice of the Lord came unto me, saying, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And because this people repented not after I had delivered them, behold, they shall be cut off from the face of the earth. And it came to pass that I utterly refused to go up against my enemies, and I did even as the Lord had commanded me. Mormon 3.14-16 The Lord determines to bring upon the Nephites, or allow to come upon the Nephites, everything that they had sworn to do to their enemies, to cut them off from the face of the earth. Some years later, we learn a significant detail regarding Mormon's utter refusal to be a commander and a leader of the Nephites and to go up against his enemies, Mormon 3.11 and 16. This utter refusal had taken the form of an oath that Mormon himself had sworn. Quote, and it came to pass that I did go forth among the Nephites and did repent of the oath which I had made, that I would no more assist them. And they gave me command again of their armies, for they looked upon me as though I could deliver them from their afflictions. Mormon 5.1 It appears, then, that between the time when the Nephites swore their unhallowed oaths to exterminate the Lamanites, and Mormon's own swearing an oath not to lead the Nephites or go up against his enemies, and Mormon's repenting of his oath, Mormon read and wrote much. Mormon read the Jaredite records and included Nephite descriptions of their contents, records Moroni later abridges. He read and selected for inclusion the records that detailed Payanchi's rebellion and the oaths that gave rise to the Gadianton robbers. He read and wrote the epistolary oaths of men like Gideonhi, and of course read and wrote much more. He had also read the account of Canidic oaths from the brass plates, see especially Helaman 6. Mormon had witnessed for himself the importance of Jesus' charge to the Nephites and Lamanites at the Temple Bountiful, swear not at all. See 3 Nephi 12:33-37. See F Matthew 5:33-37. Perhaps this is what led him to repent of his own oath. The oath, CF Ain and H, first sworn in support of Peanchi, the Living One, 
by his supporters invoking the life of their everlasting maker, culminated in the eventual death of the Nephites as a society. The oaths that the Nephites swore against their enemies differed little from the epistolary oaths of Gideonhi, and their fate differed little from his. Compare 3 Nephi 4.14 with Mormon 4.5. The Nephites became like those Judahites that had violated the Lord's covenant in Jeremiah 34.18-20. Their dead bodies became meat unto the fowls of the heaven and unto the beasts of the earth. C.F. Mormon 6.15. Note, the author would like to thank Alan Wyatt, Robert F. Smith, and Victor Worth. Matthew Alboan was raised in Orem, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an assistant professor in religious education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blattberg, are the parents of three children, Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. This has been a recording of Swearing by Their Everlasting Maker, some notes on Peanchi and Gideonhi, by Matthew L. Bowen, originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 28, 2018, read by Victor Worth. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged, the journal and its website are credited, and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com.